day 295. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So today I'm hyped because we're in the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews, as many of you probably know, is uh, swimming in the deep end of the theological pool. It is very uh, tightly argued, very dense. Uh, and he uses the Old Testament a ton. So, you know, I'm happy about that. Um, just a little bit about the book of Hebrews before we jump into this text. The writer of the book is unknown, right? We don't know who wrote it or when. <laughs> well, what we can deduce, though, from the text itself is that it is written to a group of Christians who were urged to maintain their confession and profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Maintain your confession of faith. And this structure the structure of the book is basically uh, the writer giving exposition. So he'll he'll give us some scripture, right? Old Testament scripture, and he'll uh, explain and expose what is in that text, followed by an exhortation to live in light of it, right? So he'll explain the scriptures and then call us to live in light of it, right? And apparently, these Christians, these early Christians, were facing a type of persecution and were tempted to go back to their former way of life uh, under the old covenant, under uh, uh, Judaism. Right. And above all, the writer wants to encourage these believers with the truth, the simple truth. Right. That Jesus is superior. Right. That Jesus is better, that he is supreme, that he is better than anything else in all of creation. So to do this would be a fool's errand. So he'll do this. He'll explain and try to encourage, but he'll also give these warnings. So these warning passages are interspersed throughout. And he's just saying like, Hey, if you turn away from Christ, if you turn away from the greatest gift that God has given humanity, it won't go well for you. Right. It won't go well. And so he jumps right in. Hebrews 1, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, hear that, uh, notice that last day language. Uh, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purification for sins. Christ sat down right at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, <laughs> just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Oh my God, so good. There's a ton, there's a ton that he unpacks uh, in the first four verses of this book. I think first and foremost, he literally says, uh, basically, God spoke to us in many parts. That's another way that first uh, line or uh, verse can be translated. God spoke to us in many parts. And what he's saying is, is that God spoke, but he says now, in contrast, God has is speaking in one place. He is, he is saying that we can have God's ultimate full revelation of himself. He says before God had revealed himself and in parts and in, and in pieces and we couldn't get the whole thing. But now through Christ, we can understand the full story, right? And he says, these are the last days. We've said it before. God's end time blessings for his people promised all throughout the Old Testament, according to the New Testament, have been fulfilled in Jesus. Right. The last days started when Jesus came, lived, died and resurrected. Right. So we are still living in the last days. Right. And so um, this son that he's talking about isn't just anybody. He is the son with a capital S. And based on how it's constructed in the original language, right, it shows that he has this special status in nature that is unlike any other person in history, right? He is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The Trinity is God being father, son, and spirit. The son is uh, uh, being talked about 
here. And this son is the heir of all things. In other words, the eternal plan of God was for the father to give all things to his son. Right. So the, the book of Hebrew, he's just going in like he's giving it to you all, fam. He's 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 going in. Not only that, he says he's the radiance of God's glory, meaning he is where the glory of God, the radiant splendor and majesty of God is fully seen. He is the exact expression of his nature. In other words, he and the father share the same nature. They are both God. God is one according to essence, but three according to person. Then he hits us after saying, fam, he says he has created and actually sustains the world. Right. See, he says he's, he's he creates the world. He sustains the world. And then he says he came down and made purification for sins. Right. This is priestly language. And he says now he sits on at the right hand of the father on the throne. We still in the first four verses. Um, it's interesting because if you want to understand uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, it, you would do well uh, to meditate and continually read Psalm 110. Right. Psalm 110 in the Old Testament and Leviticus 16. He is basically riffing off of these passages over and over and over again. And for Christ to sit at the right hand of God, that is uh, something that Psalm 110 explicitly says. And uh, uh, the New Testament says over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Because Christ is now seated reigning at the right hand of God. And because he made purifications for sins before doing that, he shows that his work is in contrast to the priests of the Old Testament. Right. He has completed his work on earth for his people. And um, the rest of the chapter goes in uh, verses five to 14. And we get uh, this divine dialogue from the father to the son. Right. So the father. Remember, God is is, is uh, three in one. Right. So he's father, son and spirit. So the father is talking to the son and this is a divine dialogue by using a method that the early church called prosopological exegesis. Now, that's just a fancy word that basically comes from this Greek word prosopon, which means face. And so, in other words, what the early church said was like, no, the father and the son are face to face having this conversation. Right. And, and the father is just bigging up the son, right? Talking about how glorious he is, right? And, and the writer of Hebrews is letting us peek into eternity in a sense, right? And he's trying to say, like, no, like the things that um, these things are not uh, things that are just said in time. These things are, are things said in eternity and they're meant to be uh, uh, but displayed before us so that we would have allegiance and faith and, and loyalty to this son who has accomplished the greatest work in human history and i think uh, contextually um he, he wants to say hey he's superior to the angels right so again remember these early uh, uh um, christians were being tempted to go back to a former way of life in judaism and in judaism if you know anything about it especially as it began to develop in the second temple period after the completion of the old testament angels were a really big deal <laughs> like and if you read the new testament carefully uh, they talk a lot about angels um and, and not always in bad ways but sometimes in bad ways but anyway um, angels were a really big deal. And so you could imagine that people were tempted to to go and worship the angels or submit to them. And he's like, no, 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 like Jesus is actually greater. So he says this in Hebrews 2. He says, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. This is one of my favorite verses in Hebrews um, and often skipped over amidst all the theology. He says, listen, um, neglecting to pay attention to Jesus and the teachings about Jesus and who he is can lead to us drifting away from Jesus, right? And the funny thing about drifting is that it usually happens gradually over time, right? How many of us know people that have drifted away from Jesus and are now found this, find themselves far from him, right? And, he, and I love what, what he says. He uses this rare word. He says, we must pay attention. Um, 
I think he says that because it's important. It's important because uh, our attention usually, you know, leads to devotion, right? The thing that has your attention the most uh, you is the thing that you will be devoted to. Sidebar, uh, uh, economists say we live in a attention economy now. And so this is why things like uh, social media and, and uh, the Internet and things like that are uh, people are making so much money off of it because they are able to grab our attention. And with that, as we know, they are able to grab our devotion to whatever it may be, to uh, our body image, to they're trying to proclaim, uh, portray a, a certain type of status or whatever uh, the, the thing is of the day. And, um, yeah, they have our devotion and they have our affections. And right. And Jesus is saying, like, I want more attention than uh, anything else in this universe. Right. For if the message, he says this spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received the just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, what the writer does here in giving this warning is this. He says that because Jesus is superior to the angels who mediated the law sidebar, um, um, it was believed that on Mount Sinai, when Moses went up to receive the law, right, the first five books of the Bible came out of that encounter. And guess who gave him the law? Angels, right? The law was mediated through angels, right? So this was understood in Judaism. And he's saying, the like, if, if you broke the law, the old, the old covenant law, no, 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 it was punishment, fam. It was a rap. It was, it was, it was a problem, right? And he says, how much more? If Jesus is greater than the angels, how much greater will this punishment be? For rejecting him so he's clear about that and he gives this warning but he still i love it because he gives a warning and then he encourages right after he says he talks about the eternal son of god and how he took up a human nature to fulfill what our forefathers didn't fulfill in the original creation right and he says um you know, it's funny because this is the first time he, he uses the actual name Jesus. Right. And so, in other words, uh, it's been said that it's theologically correct. Um, and the church has always affirmed this, that God became Jesus. Right. The second person of the Trinity became a man. Right. And so he quotes Psalm chapter eight and says this text really was pointing forward to this person named Jesus, who is the Messiah, who became a man and regained again what Adam lost as the last Adam. In other words, he fulfills the original intent for humanity to dwell over creation as this perfect human. Right. And thus, this makes him greater than the angels as well. No angel has ever done this. In the end of the chapter, he goes and shows that that was not just something he did for his self, right? That wasn't something he just did for his own personal benefit or gain, but it was actually for us. And the reason he became man was so that he could bring man up to glory, right? And so he is not only uh, our savior, according to this text, but he's also our brother. He is the, 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 the true human one who has crushed the promised seed of uh, or who is who is the promised seed in Genesis chapter three that has crushed the serpent's head and has destroyed both the death, both death and the devil. Hebrews three, as we move, he says, for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what uh, will be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast after speaking of the angels he goes on to one of the most important figures in israel's history moses he mentions that jesus is even greater than moses himself so in other words you see what he's doing he's using the scriptures uh, against them right the same scriptures that they would point to as authoritative he is using it against them to show the original uh in the true and ultimate understanding of those same 
scriptures. He says, you remember Moses, right? The prophet priest that led the people out of bondage, all right, 400 years, performed signs and wonders, uh, wonders by the power of God, constructed a tabernacle for the Lord's dwelling, all that kind of stuff. He know, But notice the contrast. He says, Moses was faithful in the household. Jesus is faithful over it. In other words, he says, Jesus sits on this divine side of the creator creature distinction, right? There's a distinction between creator and creature. And Jesus is uh, on the divine side. Moses is just on the human side. And so he says, no, no, we are that household that Christ is over if we hold on to our confession. And at the end of three, he slides into another warning, which is essentially going to hang on this one word today, 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 today. And he'll quote Psalm 95 to remind them that Moses obviously couldn't lead the people to this end time uh, rest that God had promised. Right. And in the same way, the first generation didn't make it into the promised land. If you remember the, the Exodus narrative and plot line. Right. The first generation didn't make it into the promised land. He says it's possible for these believers and for us. Right. Not to make it if we don't hold on in faith to Christ. And he says we, too, like like them are in this overlap of the ages, right? We have already been set free from our sins. We've already been set free from bondage. We've already left Egypt, but we have not met yet made it to Canaan, right? We are still in the wilderness. And so our final salvation, the eternal promised land has not yet come. And so he says, today, this message is for today. Every day is today. This thing is urgent, 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 urgent. So that's why he says in verse 12, he says, watch out, brothers and sisters, watch out, be alert. So that, hear this, there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deceptions. Um, it's so funny because when you read the Exodus story, you see uh, how frequently at least the first generation wanted to go back to Egypt. Right. They wanted to go back. And in the same way here in this text, fam, like these early Christians want to go back. Right. And it's the same thing with us. Many of us uh, valorize and fantasize about our former way of life and bondage. And we want to go back. And he's saying, you don't want to go back. <laughs> so we have to encourage one another. He says, he says, no, no, you have to understand the continual Sin has this 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 gradual and continual effect of callousing the heart. And this is why we are to encourage one another daily, because any day could be the day that someone we thought was one of us. Uh, heart heart grows cold and hard toward the Lord, and they are deceived by their own sin and uh, taken away from Christ. So we must do this every single day. This is an attempt. This podcast is an attempt to encourage you every single day. Hebrews chapter four. For if Joshua, notice he's, he's moving along in redemptive history, talks about Joshua now. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, uh, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us make then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. David wrote Psalm 95 after the Israelites entered the promised land through Joshua. So in other words, what he's doing is the author is so skilled with the, with the text. He's still using Psalm 95 and explaining uh, 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 points and exhorting in light of Psalm 95. However, he brings up Joshua and says, no, like Joshua did not give them rest. 
right? Rest in, in the Old Testament was in for, for a period understood as Canaan. And he says Joshua didn't ultimately give them what Canaan pointed to. So that's why David can come after him and say, hey, there's still a rest to be entered for the people of God. God had this final, eternal, ultimate rest in mind that he wanted his people to experience. And here he's going to say, no, no, like a huge part of your faith is persevering to enter into it. Right. Holding on tightly to the confession that you have made that Jesus is the Christ enduring in this temporary time in the wilderness because the promise for something eternal is waiting. The good news, though, is that you and I don't have to white knuckle our way to heaven. Right. You don't have to. We don't have to rely upon our own strength to keep from failing and falling. How do I know? Because he goes on to talk about the priesthood of Jesus. And says that because we have one who has already went before us on our behalf, he can help us get there. He can help us get there. He says he's been through everything you've been through, every temptation, wise, a uh, temptation wise, and he's um was wisely like defeated them all, and he sympathizes with us and is the one who can provide grace and mercy as we are afflicted with any and everything, and all he wants us to do, listen, is admit our weakness. And we admit our weakness before, or by going before his glorious throne. Let's pray. God, we ask that you will help us to admit our weakness today. And that we will go to your throne to find mercy to help.